what you've been dreaming about, the hopes that you've had are all coming into place. And God then asks you to lay it down, to surrender that dream, to sacrifice, to offer it up. I mean, it's right there at your fingertips. The dream that you've been dreaming all of your life, that which you've been longing for is right at your fingertips. And God then says, lay it down, sacrifice, surrender it to me. The story of Abraham and Isaac is one of the most well-known stories in the entire Old Testament. God commands Abraham to go to Mount Moriah and offer up what is most precious to him, his one and only son, to give up what, what mattered most to him, to surrender it, to lay it down. The story of Abraham's testing is one of the most analyzed passages of Scripture in the entire Bible, Old and New Testament. You, you cannot read Genesis 22 and Abraham and Isaac, without having some questions in your mind, it's really difficult. I think anyone here who's ever read that has had those questions rolling around in their minds. And I don't want to spend the bulk of our time this morning trying to answer all the potential questions that may come up when it, when it's deal, when it comes to dealing with this passage. We'll try to do that maybe on a Wednesday night in our apologetics group. On Wednesday nights, we meet at 7 o'clock, and you're more, men, it's, it's a men's group, sorry, ladies. Um, you're more than welcome to come. Any man in the church is welcome to come at 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights. Maybe we'll bring it up, and we'll kind of go through those questions then, but I don't want to spend the bulk of our time doing that. What I'd rather do is focus on what the Word of God, God clearly teaches us about this passage of Scripture. Historically, the dominant interpretation has been that Abraham passed God's test because he was willing to sacrifice what he loved the most. He was willing to give up and lay down what, and sacrifice what mattered to him the most, what he, what he held most precious. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, it says, By faith, Abraham, when, te- when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. We also have the angel's statement to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 12 that brings more clarity to this event. It says this, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you are, you are not withheld from me, your son, your only son. See, on this side of the story, With what we know about God, the ending to this is not such a surprise to us. We have the whole Bible, Old and New Testament. We we know the character of God. We know so for us again on this side of the story, read that, and it's not a surprise. The ending is not a surprise. But if you take from if you take it from Abraham and Isaac's perspective, it's a little bit of a different story. 
If you look at it from their perspective, and that's what I want you to do. I want you to be thinking about Abraham and Isaac and what they must have been feeling and what they must have been going through. Abraham had the promise. And I want you to apply this to your own life as we go through this this morning. Not just, not just thinking about specifically what Abraham had to give up, but yourself. What if God asks you to surrender something? What if God asks you to give up this dream? Abraham had the dream. He had the promise right in his grasp. He had it in his hands. And God says to give it up, to lay it down, to sacrifice all the years of waiting, all the years of anticipation. He finally gets it. It's right there. And God says, lay it down lay it down. Do you remember the movie Chariots of Fire? It's a story about a Scottish athlete, Eric Little, who his entire life, now Eric Little first, he was, he was one of the strongest Christians you're ever going to come across. Incredible man of God. But all his life, Eric Little dreamt about being in the Olympics and winning a gold medal in the 100-meter dash. That was it. That was his dream. That's what he wanted to accomplish. And he put his life into it. He worked very hard to get there. And in 1924, the Summer Olympics were held in Paris, France. And so he, he trained for months to qualify for the 100-meter dash, and he qualified. So he qualifies for the 100-meter dash, but then he finds out that the, when the schedule comes out, that the 100-meter dash was on a Sunday. And for some of us, it's like, well, oh, big deal. It's on a Sunday. You run, you know, you praise God when you're running, and that's no big deal. But for, for Eric, it matters. His convictions wouldn't allow him to run on the Sabbath. That was, something, that was something important to him, and he was not going to run on the Sabbath. So, in other words, he was giving up. He was laying down and surrendering this dream that he had his entire life because he wouldn't go against his convictions. But then instead of just giving up the whole dream, he decided that he would train and, and, and run and try to make it to the, in the 400 meters, the race. And so he trains for that, and he qualifies for the 400-meter race. Now, I'm no, I'm no runner, okay? I can run, but I'm no runner. There's a difference, okay? Something's chasing me, I run. Some people really know how to run. It's, it's their sport. So you, you understand there's a big difference between a 100-meter dash and a 400-meter race. There's a difference there. So he tries out. He, he, he qualifies for the, 100 meter, the 400 meters. And as he's coming up, the day of the race, as he's coming up to stand on those blocks, one of his teammates walks up and gives him a small piece of paper. And written on that small piece of paper is 1 Samuel chapter 2 in verse 30. And it says, those who honor me, I will honor. Those who honor me, I will honor. And when the, when the, the gun went off, he, when he went flying down that track, he held that piece of paper in his hand. And he not only won the race and the gold medal, but he, he broke the world record. So something, that was not his race. But it, 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 with, 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 the, with the power of God in his life and his, the convictions that he held to, he ran with all of his heart, won the gold medal, fulfilled the dream that, God, that he had for his life. And I'm sure that he felt like God has for his life. And he broke a world record. Here is a man, my friends, of true faith, willing to give up his dream, willing to give his dream away to honor God. 
but not to go against the conviction in his heart. He was not going to, he was not going to do anything that went against what he believed to be right and true. Now, so God honors Eric Little's decision and the conviction in his heart. And we got a happy ending to this story. He runs the race of 400 meters. You know, you saw it. You know, the whole thing, you know, you're like crying and everything. It was a great movie. Won the, won the Academy Award and everything. So that's the end of the story, right? Well, that, that, that's the end of it. It was a happy ending, just like our happy ending to Abraham and Isaac. Obviously, we know the ending to that story. God does not obviously have him sacrifice Isaac. So there's a happy ending there. But the reality is there's not always a happy ending to stories like this. As a matter of fact, if, if the, the movie continued, I think it'd be even a, a stronger story. Eric Little continued to serve the God that he loved so much in China. And in 1945, he died in a horrible camp of an inoperable brain tumor. And before he died, he had to go through some of the most horrendous circumstances of his entire life. What he had to endure in that camp before he died was unbelievable. But you know what amazed me about this guy? You know, it, it, was, it moved me. The movie, the movie itself was moving. But his life after was inspiring. Through all of that, he never wavered in his faith. He never wavered in his faith. His belief in God was strong. And he continued to live out his faith in Jesus Christ his entire life until his death. You know, I remember a time in my life where I, I, my wife had to challenge me in one area of my life. She said, you know, she said, you know, you can love something and, and you can be loyal to something. I'm a very loyal person. And she said, it's okay to love and it, to love something that much. And it's okay to be loyal. But she said, would you be willing to give it up if God asked you to give it up? And of course, being a pastor, I said, well, of course, of course I would. You know, I, you know, I'm a pastor. If God wanted me to give it up, of course I'd give it up. I, you know, I, I would lay it down. I would give it up. If God, you know, came to me and spoke to me, I would, I would do all that. And Henry Ward Beecher wrote, it is not what we take up, but what we give up that makes us rich. It's not what we take up. It's what we give up that makes us rich. So I said, I mean, I thought to myself, sure, I would, I would lay that down. I would give that up. You know, the reality was I, 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 I then went off and started thinking about it. And I thought to myself, you know, I really need to think this through because it was a conviction in my heart that, you know, you can, I, I was a pastor at the time. So wasn't, I wasn't doing something wrong. I was just in love with what I was doing, which is a youth, being a youth pastor. And and so I, I, but I really thought about it and I, and for the days after I started really praying and I spent some time alone with God and in that time alone with God, I offered up my Isaac in a sense. I said, God, if you, if you truly want this, I'm going to give it to you. When my wife first asked me, you have to know in the back of my mind when I said, oh, sure, you know, I'd give it up. The Lord asked me. I also thought to myself, number one, he's not going to ask. Number two, it has to speak to me verbally. And if he speaks to me verbally, you know, it's like he comes down and a big light comes on and Jeff Greer, do this. Then I would do it. Um, but I took the time and I spent some time and I was able at that point to offer up my Isaac, still thinking in the back of my mind it would never happen. But you know what? Two years from that date, he took it away from me. He took, he took that away. And in doing so, in doing so, he took away took me out of my comfort zone. He, he took me out of something 
they took me down the only life that I ever knew as a Christian. As a Christian, the moment I raised my head from the prayer of receiving Christ, I had one thing on my mind, being a youth pastor. He took that away. He took away all the dreams that I had for the future. I had no dreams beyond what I was doing in youth ministry. So he took all those things away. You know, I'm going to tell you something. As, you're, as I'm telling this story, anyone, you don't have to raise your hand, but anyone ever been there? Anyone ever been there in your life where you, you had your plans all laid out? You had your dreams all laid out? You thought you had it all worked out in your life? You had it all straightened out? You knew where you were going to be in five? You know, you, you throw your one-year, your three-year, your five-year plan out there. You've got it all worked out. And all of a sudden, God says, no, I have a different plan for your life. It's, it's extremely difficult. It's difficult to give up a dream. It's difficult to give up something you love. It's difficult to give up something you're good at doing and that you always thought you'd be doing. It's extremely difficult when you have a dream in your heart, and I want you to apply this to your life, whatever it is for you, and then God at some time in your life comes along, and you need to be prepared for this, and says, I want you to offer up that dream to me. I want you to give that to me. The question we need to ask ourselves this morning, all of us need to ask is, are you willing, are we willing to give up anything for God? Are we willing to lay down anything for God? Are we willing to sacrifice anything for God? Because in the end, it really isn't about my dream. It isn't about your dream. It's about my love, my trust, and my obedience to the God that I serve. That's what it's about. It is about him. It's not about me. It's not about my dream. It's about his dream for my life. It's about me being obedient to whatever he asks me to do, regardless if I had it in my one-year, my three-year, or my five-year plan. It's about God speaking to your heart and you being ready to say, God, I'm willing to give up whatever it is. I'm willing to lay it down for you. This week, as I studied this passage, something really came to my heart. This passage really isn't about Abraham and Isaac. This passage is about God. It's about, a, it's about a God who is all-powerful. It's about a God who, who, who has, can fulfill all the needs of our lives. It's about a God who gives us purpose. So it's not, it's not just a story about Abraham and Isaac. It's about a God who is all-powerful. It's about a God who provides for all of our needs. And it's about a God who gives purpose to our lives. And that is what I want to spend the rest of our time on this morning. And the first one is that we are worshiping a powerful God. It's about a God who is powerful. In Genesis chapter 18, in verse 14, it says this. God says this to Abraham. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? You remember when he was, went through that whole thing and Sarah giving, the, having, giving birth to her child? Is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer is no. The answer is no. This is a dominant theme throughout the book of Genesis. This whole idea is anything too, pow, too, too much for God. Is anything, is anything too overwhelming for God? The answer is no. And, and God clearly shows this throughout the book. We've been going through the promises of God. When God tells the seed to part, it parts. When God says, I'm going to make Abraham a great nation, he's going to make Abraham a great nation. When God says to Sarah, you're going to have a child in your, own age, or your old age, it happens. When God says he's going to flood the earth, the earth floods. When God says that there's nothing too powerful for me to do, I can do the impossible, then it is true. It is true. When God says that no matter what you're going through in your life right now, no matter what the circumstances, you can trust me to get you through it, then you can trust him to get you through it. 
God is all powerful. What God says is true. When he says he can do something, he can do it. And regardless of what we're experiencing in our lives right now, regardless of what you're going through right now, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I have the power to overcome anything, any struggle, any temptation, any difficulty that has happened in your life. I have the power to overcome it. We have a God who is powerful. Psalm 29, 4 says, The voice of the Lord is powerful. Through the power of his word, God speaks things into being. He doesn't come having to tinker around with things. He speaks things into existence. In Psalm 147, in verse 5, it says, Great is the Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Abraham needed to trust that God was going to do what he promised to do, regardless of his circumstances, because God is all-powerful. He needed to understand that. And Abraham, I believe, understood that, that he worshipped a powerful God. And no matter what the circumstances looked like where he was, that God would fulfill the purpose that he called Abraham to, that God would fulfill his promise to Abraham, because God was a God who was powerful enough to overcome anything. And that's what Abraham understood. You know, I believe that after all Abraham had seen, after all that he had been through, he had a faith in the power of God that is far beyond what you and I could possibly imagine. He had this intense faith in God. He'd been through so many experiences and watched God move. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's great as the New Testament goes back and explains the old sometimes and gives you a broader picture. In Hebrews chapter 11, 17 through 19, it reveals that Abraham expected God to raise Isaac from the dead. Let's read again in in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 19. It says, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. He reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Come on with that. Think about that. He had reason. He's going through this whole experience. And he believes so much in the power of God and God's ability to do what he promised to do. And he fulfilled the promise of God through Isaac that Abraham believed no matter what ultimately happened at the end when the night was coming down, that God had the ability to raise Isaac from the dead. Not even death was going to shatter his conviction that God can do what he says he can do. Come on with that. Someone say amen or I'm not going to preach anymore. Thank you. My goodness. I mean, think about that. Can you imagine having that kind of faith? I mean, can you imagine being in that position? He reasoned that God could raise the dead. And I'm sure, I'm not taking away from the experience, I'm not taking away from the obedience, but Abraham's faith in the power of God, in the promises of God were so strong that he raised, reasoned that Abraham, that Isaac would be, could be raised from the dead. It's amazing. Now, to you, we'll bring it back down to earth, okay? Back down to earth. Do you believe that God can resurrect your career? Do you believe that God can bring your career back from the dead? Do you believe that God can bring your relationship back from the dead? That he can resurrect your relationship? 
Do you believe that God, that the God that we serve can resurrect your spiritual life? Your spiritual life is in the dumps. It has been nothing maybe for uh, maybe years. Do you believe that God can resurrect your spiritual life and get your heart start to start pumping again and getting you to start believe again and to trust again and to be obedient again? Do you believe that God can do that in your life? Abraham that believed that God was going to fulfill his promise regardless of the outcome of Abraham and Isaac, that God would then do whatever he needed to do to fulfill his promise. Abraham didn't know how it was going to be ultimately fulfilled, but he knew that God said, I'm going to do this and he was going to do this. And so no matter what, you're going through right now, whether it's a relationship that's dead, whether your career is dead, whether your spiritual life is dead, whatever is dead, you and I need to believe that God can resurrect all of those things. He can bring anything back from the dead. He's really good at doing that, you know. He is. He's good at resurrecting dead things. So no matter if your heart is dead because you've had broken relationships, God can resurrect whatever brokenness that you have in your life. God is a God who is in the business of resurrecting dead things. And Abraham knew that. He knew that. Second, this is a story about a God who provides for our needs. It is about a God who provides for all of our needs. Think about it. Think about this. When Isaac notices in verse 7 that he had the wood for the fire, I mean, he had the wood and the fire for the burnt offering, but there was no sacrifice there. He says, he goes and asks his father. And Abraham says this in verse 8, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. God himself will provide the burnt offering. God will provide. God will provide. You hear it over and over and over again. And then notice in Genesis chapter 22 and verses 13 and 14, where Abraham names the place where God intervenes. It says this, Abraham took up, looked up, and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, if you've been a Christian for more than a month, six, eight months, a year or so, you begin to see something. You begin to realize something else in this, in this whole story. You begin to realize there's a lot of messianic imagery. A lot of messianic, messianic imagery here. It, 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 it talks about how the two of them uh, get on this donkey, saddle the donkey, and ride to Mount Moriah. So you have this whole, this whole idea of them on the donkey riding to Mount Moriah, which, which is traditionally held to be the temple mound in Jerusalem. And then in verse 6, it talks about how Abraham places the wood on the back of his son, and his son then carries the wood to the place of sacrifice. In the same way that Jesus carried the wooden cross on his back to the place where he would be sacrificed for our sin. You start to think about that. And then, and then after, God, after God tells Abraham to, to hold his hand, he says, you know, stop what you're doing. He, he holds Abraham's hand. He says this, since you have not withheld your son, your one and only son. Now, you can't help but to start, not, not to start thinking about the, that echo of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. 
that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. There's the echo. Over and over again, it says that you were, able, you were willing to give up your son, your only son, your one and only son. There, there is messianic imagery throughout this. There's more, than, there's more than this, but you can do more study on it. It's pretty cool. But you see this messianic imagery coming through in the story of Abraham and Isaac. The entire narrative, the entire narrative of Abraham's life is about God's provision. It is about God. God provides the promise. God provides the son. God provides the sacrifice. And all that God expects of Abraham is to provide his obedience. Abraham is to give his obedience to God. God provides, you think about it. We've, we've gone through this. We've been sticking in, the, in, in Genesis. You go through this whole experience. God provides for everything. He's the one who does it all. He does it for Sarah. He does it for Abraham. He provides it all. He provides the promise. He provides the son and he provides the sacrifice. Third, this is about God giving us purpose or showing us purpose. He gives us purpose. God's purpose for our lives is revealed in this story. And God's ultimate purpose for our lives is to worship him. That is God's ultimate purpose. God has individual things that he'd like us to do and he wants us to do that he's created us to do. But his ultimate purpose for your life is to worship him, to be conformed to the image of Christ and to worship him. And we are going to have an opportunity to come back, another opportunity to come back here tonight and do just that, to worship him, to spend time just worshiping God. And that's what he wants us to do. If you think about it, think about this. That's, what, that's why God's sent Abraham and Isaac to Mount Moriah in the first place. In verse five, it says this. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I go and the, uh, while I go and the boy, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. God wants us to love him. God wants us to love him more than anything else. That is God's desire for our lives, that we would worship him, that we would love him, that we would love him more than our family, that we would love him more than our friends, that we would love him more than our money and more than our possessions and more than our sports and more than our time and more than our career and more than our comfort, that we would love God above and beyond everything else. That is worship. People need to worship. People must worship. You hear people all the time, oh, I don't believe in God. Let me tell you something. Everyone knows there's a God and they can't help but to worship. And if they deny worshiping God, they worship something else. They'll worship their money or their possessions, their stuff. They'll even worship maybe a human figure like a, a politician or something. They'll worship a politician or they'll worship something over here or they'll worship themselves. People have to worship. They were created to worship. The only question is, what are you worshiping? That's the only question. You can't help but to worship. No matter who you are and what walk of life, where you live, you are ultimately going to desire to worship something and our desire and everyone's desire should be to worship the one and true God. But here, here's the paradox. God says, I want, you to, I, want you to be, I want to be first in your life. Here's the amazing paradox. When we realize, we begin to realize 
that when we, put, when we put God first in our lives, when he gets set up to be number one and he takes first priority in our lives and we put him on the very top of the list, we begin to see the power of God come shining through. You think, you know, if, if, oh, I've got I've to put myself first and I've got to do this first and God, I'll put you over here. It, it, that's when we, when we lose out on life. When we put God first in our lives, we begin to see the promises of God fulfilled in our lives. We, be, we begin to see the provisions that God has for us fulfilled. We begin to see our purpose fulfilled. We begin to see the power of God revealed. When you don't put God first in your life, you are not going to see, you are not going to experience God the way he was meant to be experienced, where God becomes the one who takes care and provides for all of your needs, where God becomes the one who shows you why you were created. Every Everyone asks the question, why am I here? What is the meaning of life? What, what, what on earth have you evolved, okay? What on earth would you be asking those questions for? We worship because we were created by God. We ask those questions because we were created by God. And only God has the answers to those questions. And if we put him first, we get the ultimate answer. God will then provide for all of our needs. He will help us understand who we are and what our purpose is in life. And we will be truly be able to see the power of God unleash in our lives and how he can use us all around in our own community and globally around the world. Now, we may not understand. Here's the thing. We may not understand why it is that God is, has asked us to lay down that dream. We may not ever understand why God has asked us to move on from that position, from that job, from that career. We, we may not understand why God is allowing this certain circumstance to happen in our lives. We may not understand, we may never understand those things, but you know what? We can always trust in God's promises. We can always trust God's promise in Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all, thing God, all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. We can trust God. I don't have all the answers of why things happen. I don't understand why things happen. I don't understand why we're sometimes asked to give up a dream or to give up a, a position or a job or asked to, to endure certain things things in our life. I have no idea why Eric, Eric Little died in 1945 of an inoperable brain tumor in, in, a, in, a, in a horrible camp in China. I have no idea, but you know what? God provided for him all of his life. And we can trust that God will use, God will use us in life and in death. All things work together for good for those who love God and who have been called according to his purpose. I don't, I don't have all the answers for you, but I do have a promise that whatever you're going through, whatever I'm experiencing, whatever we're asked to lay down, that God will turn that around for our good and for his glory and lives will be transformed and your life will have purpose and meaning. God promises that. God has promised that. You don't need all the answers. You just need to trust him. You just need to believe in him. You just need to understand that our God never lies and whatever he promises, he will follow through. This story, my friends, like I said before, is about God. It is about God. It's not about Abraham. It's not about Isaac. It's not about Sarah. It's not about you or about me or all the things. It is about God and how God works in our lives, how God intervenes in our lives, the power of God, the purposes of God, the promises of God. 
the provision of God. It is about God. It is about God's eternal power. It is about God's amazing provision. It is about God's single-minded focus for the purposes in each of our lives. And that is to trust him, to love him, to be obedient to him, and ultimately to worship him. And tonight, again, we're going to come together. We're going to come together as a body, and we're going to worship him. If you've noticed out there in the foyer, we tore up that. I never liked that rug. I never liked that rug. And John, Pastor John had a great, great idea. He said, why don't we tear that rug up, have a good reason to tear the rug up. And he said, let's write down the promises of God during this time of worship all over the floor. And tonight you're going to come, you're going to get a marker, and you're going to write what promises are meaningful to you. You're going to lay down those promises of God on the floor. We're going to write them all over the foyer floor. And then one day in a couple weeks, we'll come back and we'll cover it over with a nicer carpet. And you know what? Every time you come walking through that door, every time, you're going to be standing on the promises of God. Every time you come walking through the doors of Grace Chapel, you're going to stand on the promises of God. This is never going to end. This series will never end. As long as this building is standing and the concrete's underneath there, we will be standing on the promises of God. We're going to trust him because we love him. We're going to be obedient to him. And we're going to watch him move in ways that we could never, ever have imagined in our, in our lives, personally, individually, and as a church. I want you to come back tonight and I want you to be prepared to truly worship God, to lay down those promises all over the floor and then to stand on those promises knowing that God is going to move. We want you to come this tonight. We want you to come with your baggage. We want you to come with your brokenness. We want you to come with your pain. We want you to come with your questions. But we also want you to come with hope. We want you to come tonight to celebrate. We want you to come tonight to give thanks, to praise him, to rejoice in him. We want you to come with an open heart, with a belief and a trust that God will meet you where you are. That's what we want tonight. Go home when you leave this place today and don't stop worshiping. Pray to him. Anticipate. Anticipate what God is going to do in your life tonight. And then come back here with hope in your heart, with an open heart, with a trust and a love for God, knowing that our God who promises us that he will meet us where we are, that our God will meet us here tonight and he will change our lives. He will impact our lives. He will transform our lives in a way that we never, never have experienced before. That's what we're expecting. We're expecting God to move in individual lives, to pray together, to worship together to serve each other and to experience what it means to hold on to the promises of God. Let's bow our heads. Father, we are so grateful that we can be here this morning in your presence. And God, we are going to continue throughout this day, no matter what we're doing, what experiences we have, what activities we have going on until tonight, we are going to praise you. We are going to worship you throughout this day. We're going to anticipate you coming and meeting us here tonight as you already have this morning. 
and touching our individual hearts and binding us together as the body of Christ so that we can then rise up and leave this place different people than when we came in, more conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ, more, whole, more, more, more depth in our hearts and our ability to hold on to your promises with all that we have. Lord God, we anticipate it. We expect it. We have faith in you. And so we come with open hearts and open minds to worship you. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a great week and I'll see you tonight.